pleasant New Year's Eve to you, We Tackle Life listeners. It's Bruce Hooley. It is the final day of 2020, a year many of us could not wait to see uh, leave. 2021 hopefully will bring uh, better things, and I know most of uh, you listening are hoping that it begins with an Ohio State victory over Clemson in the Sugar Bowl college football playoff. We will talk about that, of course. I delayed this podcast, which typically is released on Wednesday, until today because I wanted to get the latest from Ryan Day and Dabo Sweeney in advance of their game tomorrow night, and then I will have a podcast right after the game assessing whatever happens in the game. And if it's a game as good as last year's game, uh, there will be a lot to assess. Coincidentally, a little We Tackle Life trivia, that podcast post-Clemson Ohio State last year in the wee hours of the Arizona morning is the most listened to We Tackle Life podcast ever. Which, you know, I know he's not here to defend himself, but that podcast did not include Chris Spielman. And it flies in the face of the conventional wisdom of the podcast, which the podcast is always, you know, a bigger podcast when Chris is part of it. That's still true. It would have been bigger had he been a part of it. But he was asleep. I could not sleep. I covered the game and drove back to my in-law's house and uh, sat down and did the podcast. And many of you uh, listened to it, as I hope you will listen to uh, the podcast after tomorrow night's Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. What's Ohio State's bowl history in New Orleans. Okay, let me see here. Uh, Woody and Bear played in New Orleans. Didn't go well for Ohio State. I think it was 35-6 or something like that. Woody famously punching the uh, goal, uh, the the uprights, you know, and it comes down, the uprights come down, there's like one standard on the ground, padded. Woody's like punching that on the way to the locker room. That's what I remember about that Sugar Bowl. Tony Nathan and Alabama. <clears throat> Then, I remember a Sugar Bowl with Ohio State and Florida State where Coop tried to rotate Stanley Jackson and Joe Germain play-by-play to bring in the plays. Uh, FSU was loaded that year. That didn't work out so well. FSU won the game. Ohio State beat Texas A&M in the Sugar Bowl one year. The only guy, R.C. Slocum coached Texas A&M. Dat Wynn was Texas A&M's big star player, uh, linebacker. Um, Sugar Bowl, otherwise, obviously, Ohio State played for the national title against LSU in the Sugar Bowl 2007 season. Got on top, didn't stay on top. Uh, LSU won that one. And then the Sugar Bowl, uh, Alabama, 2014 college football playoff semifinal. Ohio State with Zeke Elliott going the distance late in the game and the trick play touchdown right before the half and Cardale Jones and all that. So that's what I remember about OSU in the Sugar Bowl, and we'll see uh, what kind of Sugar Bowl history is made tomorrow night. Clemson got drilled in the Sugar Bowl National Championship game a year ago against uh, LSU. Uh, But I assume they have a Sugar Bowl or two that are uh, a little bit more pleasant, but that's the one that's freshest in my mind. Okay, before we get to more on the Sugar Bowl and what Ryan Day and Dabo Sweeney had to say today, uh, cover briefly Ohio State hoops 90-54 90-54 over Nebraska. Much-needed win, not because it's, you know, you beat a great team in Nebraska. Wow, that's really going to help you in the standings. No, it's just one of those games that there's no no upside as big as the downside of losing it. You lose in Nebraska, it's even worse than losing to Northwestern, and that was bad enough 
you know how the Northwestern loss frosted me because Ohio State was in control of that. And when Northwestern has somehow inexplicably beaten Michigan State and Indiana, if you beat Northwestern at Northwestern, then you've gotten a step up on Michigan State and Indiana. So that was a blown opportunity Saturday. And a bunch of guys played poorly down the stretch. That's how you blow a seven-point lead over the last 10 minutes and a five-point lead in the last 320. And so the significance of Nebraska last night was it was a chance for the Buckeyes to breathe. It was a chance for the Buckeyes, as I wrote on PressProsMagazine.com, to feel like they were in an episode of Oprah. Instead of, because the NCAA would frown upon this, someone saying, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. Instead, it was, oh, Dwayne Washington, you can't make a three? Here, you get an open three, and another open three, and another open three. And Justin Arnes, you haven't contributed in a while. You get an open three, and you get an open three. And Zed Key, you want to know whether you can bang in the Big Ten? Here, have some opportunities open for you in the low post. And... Virtually everybody on Ohio State's team that needed a confidence boost got a big-time boost from drilling Nebraska, including Justice Suing. The Cal transfer, who said after the game last night when I asked him about his contribution, yeah, I'm struggling against the physical play of the Big Ten, but I knew I needed to learn how to play physically, and so I expected this. Well, then stop struggling. Start driving, get to the line, and don't settle for three-point shots. Justice Suing, I don't want to make out like he was some big star last night, but he was a lot better than he'd been in the Big Ten so far. And he will need to be that good for Ohio State going forward, particularly Sunday night. Seth Towns with another 11-point night. Hey, Seth Towns, you get a car. You get more confidence. So who struggled last night that Ohio State needs to not struggle? Uh, Gene Brown, for one. He had the big threes against UCLA, nothing much since, and he didn't do much last night. But I'm not really that worried about Gene Brown because he's a freshman. He's not supposed to be shouldering much of a role. However, senior point guard C.J. Walker is a concern of mine going forward because C.J. Walker has not played well lately, and C.J. Walker definitely needs to play well and much better than he is playing he did not shoot well last night. He has not shot well in a while. They cannot win if C.J. Walker is what C.J. Walker has been lately. And that will be proven Sunday night at Minnesota with Marcus Carr and the Gophers. So C.J. Walker's got to turn it on. Now, my hope had been when I heard that Michi Johnson, point guard from Garfield Heights Trinity, was classifying as a senior this year and enrolling in Ohio State in December, I thought, aha, aha. Here's an athletic, quick point guard who will give us eh, 7 to 10 strong minutes off the bench, some explosion. He'll be a fan. Well, doesn't matter if he's a fan favorite, I guess, because there's no fans. He'll be a really good dose of excitement, enthusiasm, energy. The three E's. (laughs) And instead, he's not going to play. I, that's all I'm left with after asking Chris Holtman about Michi Johnson on Tuesday. I said, what is the deal with Michi? Like, where is Michi Johnson? I see him on the bench. Why is he not playing? And Chris Holtman's answer, and it makes sense, I just don't happen to like the answer, is that Michi Johnson, because he's a high school senior, is behind from a strength standpoint. 
and they don't want to put him out on the floor because they don't want to put him up against men who've been in a college strength program for some of them six months, some of them two, three years, and he's not yet equipped with that strength foundation under him that Ohio State feels comfortable putting a guy out there on the floor who had an ACL that kept him out of playing high school basketball last season. Now, he played in the summertime, and he played great, and he looked phenomenal, but I applaud, I guess, the discipline of Chris Holtman understanding that they have a guy who's very important to the future of the program, and they're not going to sacrifice short-term they're not going to sacrifice long-term for short-term. That's what I meant to say. Um, but I wouldn't count on Michi playing. And that's that bums me out because I was looking forward to seeing him play, and they need him because C.J. Walker, hmm, not playing well at all. Hopefully he will figure that out and pick up on that. Okay, so after I watched Ohio State basketball last night drill Nebraska, I watched Oklahoma drill Florida in the Cotton Bowl. Dan Mullen, the Florida coach, says they didn't have to play the game. They had so many guys opt out, 25 guys opt out, that they apparently were under the 53 scholarship limit that the SEC sets to uh, give you an opt-out for a bowl game. I think Florida did the right thing playing. I just don't have a problem with Florida playing and getting drilled. I have a problem with the culture at Florida that 25 guys would opt out. This is warning. Here comes, you know, Bruce Hooley old-school take. I know... Kyle Pitts and others on the Florida team have an NFL future to protect. I also know that Florida has given them an opportunity to build an NFL pedigree. And I think it stinks that every player from Florida who opted out did so for selfish reasons. Now, let me just defend that word because that's a word everybody goes, selfish, come on, don't say that, that's bad. Okay, if you think it's bad, you can think that. I think it's bad as well. If you want to do it, I can't stop you. I couldn't stop Nick Bosa. I understood it. I just didn't like it. I didn't like, I didn't, I understood Denzel Ward opting out of playing Sam Darnold. I didn't like it, but I understood it. I didn't like Brad Roby opting out of the Orange Bowl against Sammy Watkins. I understood it. I didn't like it. I don't like using the platform your college football program gives you, strength program-wise, coaching-wise, national TV-wise, academic-wise, equipment-wise, medical care-wise, nutrition-wise. I don't like you using all those things when you're building your pedigree and playing on the team, and then when it gets right down to the very end when the team needs you to win a game, you go, eh. Uh, I got to put myself first here. I understand it. I know about Jake Butt hurting his knee in the Orange Bowl against Florida State. I know about Jalen Smith hurting his knee in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State. I understand it. I know. Don't throw any more examples at me. You don't need to because I understand it. I just don't like it. I used to have a partner in Cleveland Radio who'd argue and argue and argue and argue with me. You don't understand what I'm saying. And I'm like, no, I understand what you're saying. I don't agree with what you're saying. So all you guys that want to not play at the end because, ooh, I might get hurt, I understand it. I just think it's lousy. I think you're walking out on people when they need you the most. And I think, yes, I know, here comes another old school take. I think you owe it to them to finish your commitment. 
I do. And I hated it when guys started opting out of quote-unquote meaningless bowl games. Like Leonard Fournette did it. Christian McCaffrey did it. And there's a mindset out there that that's just perfectly fine because the player should look out for himself because, oh, it's indentured servitude. And he's, yeah, he's, uh, the, the colleges are using him. Uh. Okay, let me, and I'm going to get into this because this was the, basically the whole premise of a recent Sports Illustrated story. So let's tear this apart, okay? Mike Rosenberg is a friend of mine who writes for Sports Illustrated. Mike wrote an awesome book on uh, the 10-year war between Woody and Bo Schembecker called War As They Knew It. It's tremendous. Mike's been a friend of mine for a long time. Mike now works for SI, and he's extremely talented. Mike wrote this story for SI.com, I think about a week ago. I saw it on Twitter. I was actually surprised that Mike wrote it because I thought somebody else that I know at SI would be the guy who would write it because he covers college football. I expected to see Pat Forty's byline on it. Instead, it's Mike's byline. They both would have done a great job. And Mike wrote this story entitled, It Took a Pandemic to See the Distorted State of College Sports. Okay. So I think the general expectation here is you're going to read this story and you're going to go, wow, like that's what college sports is? Like what? Like I had no idea. Except I read the story and I don't think I'm any more perceptive than most of you guys who are locked in fans. I read the story and I had a two word response to it. Yeah. So that was my response or so what? <laughs> because here, let me just read. And I'm not being critical of Mike. I mean, he's fine. I'd like to talk to him about it. Be an interesting conversation. He said, this was a year when athletic departments exposed themselves for what they really are. Large businesses covered in nonprofit wrapping paper. Yeah. So he continues. I didn't. Yeah. So was me. Okay. The rest was Mike. Mike Rosenberg continues. A, a pandemic forced the whole enterprise to announce its priorities, which are even more skewed than we realized. There are thousands of people working. Here comes the uh, qualifier. Thousands of people working college athletics with excellent priorities, people who value academics, relationships, integrity, personal growth. But those are not the qualities the NCAA system rewards. He continues. College sports, purportedly a celebration of amateur athletics, are an exercise in big, squishing little, large conferences whipping small ones, and revenue sports hogging resources from non-revenue sports. Now back to Bruce Hooley, whose reaction is, yeah, so? He writes, I'll just repeat it again, college sports purportedly a celebration of amateur athletics. Well, if you believe that, you're stupid. That's not what college sports are. College sports are sometimes that, but at the level that, we're talking about most of the time, college football, college basketball, to D1 level, it's who's going to win the national championship. It's cutthroat. It's survival of the fittest. Bigger is better. Faster is better. You know, all that. And he says, Mike writes, it's an exercise in big, squishing little. Yes, it is. Large conferences whipping small ones. Yes, it is. And revenue sports hogging resources from non-revenue sports. Yes, it is. And again, I say, so what? Or, yeah, so? Here's the deal. 
you cannot have it both ways. You cannot have Ohio State football and then have all the money you make off Ohio State football spent on women's soccer, women's tennis, pistol and rifle. Ohio State football makes those things possible, but everything that is possible needs to never forget why it exists. And it exists because of Ohio State football and men's basketball. It just does, okay? And I don't like or even endorse this ridiculous arms race in college sports where Ohio State's facility puts in a juice bar, so Alabama's puts in a wall to floor to ceiling waterfall, so Clemson puts in a giant slide. Okay, does that help you win? I would argue no. But that's like the you got to kind of break some eggs, okay? You can't have these programs. Who's going to make the call on? No, a juice bar is okay because it's nutrition, but no, a racquetball court's not good. Uh, a, a big slide is not necessary, but a humongous ice tub for your entire team, yeah, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll okay that. I just don't know who makes that call. You want to you elect somebody to that office? I, I, I just don't know how that would work, okay? Uh, college sports are businesses. Now, are they phony businesses? Yeah. The whole nonprofit aspect. I, I think college football is working out pretty well for Ryan Day, don't you? Making like six million bucks a year. How's that nonprofit? You couldn't find a guy to coach the team for half a million? Sure, you could. Would he be as good as Ryan Day? Probably not, because the NFL would hire Ryan Day in a heartbeat. But how are you going to manage those things? Well, if they pay Ryan Day six million dollars, well, they ought to pay Garrett Wilson fifty thousand dollars. Okay, we can have that conversation. I just don't know. I don't like to engage in arguments, discussions, debates that are circular. They just keep going around and around and around and around and around. I never did LeBron MJ greatest player. Who cares? They're both great. You know, I just, to me, it's just nonsensical. Yes, football spends more than volleyball. Bear Bryant said it years ago. I'm surprised people could understand him when he said it, but it was quite eloquent. He said, it's kind of hard to rally round a math class. It is hard to rally round a math class. Doesn't do anything for your inner whatever. Hey, look at our math class. Hit him with your math class. I, who cares? We have grown up in a culture glorifying winning and, you know, kind of lording your superiority over other people. And I don't see anything wrong with that. I just don't. I don't see anything wrong with it at all. And you can't, it's, again, well, wouldn't it be nice, Bruce, if, yeah, it would be, I guess... You know, it would be really wonderful, Dorothy, if off in Oz, every athlete had the exact same opportunity. And, not, and, not. and so people often read stories like this from Mike Rosenberg and they go, well, we got to fix this. We got to have a night commission or we got to have a something. We got to, we're going to get our arms around this and we're going to make it fair. Okay. It's been tried. Okay. 
we're not going to allow these college athletes to be exploited anymore. We're not going to allow it. Okay, great. Do you know what you're going to really do? In attempting to fix it, you're going to screw it up more than it's already screwed up. Because, sure, the survival of the fittest nature of college football is that some guys sail right into the NFL like Joey Bosa and become all rookie and all this and all that. And everybody's happy. And some guys like Jalen Smith get injured right on the cusp of going in and they don't get as much money as they otherwise would have gotten. And some guys come as five-star recruits. I could name a ton of them, but I don't really think it's germane. You understand. You know what guys Ohio State signed and four years later, are they still on the team? And the gen- general takeaway is, well, that system screwed that kid. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. I'm not, I'm not denying that some kids get screwed. They do. But the ones who get screwed, if you're going to fix that so they never get screwed, nobody ever gets screwed, nobody ever gets taken advantage of, nobody ever gets exploited, you're going to eliminate the Joey Bosa's who make it. Because you can't make it so that everybody gets equal reps and everybody gets equal money and everybody gets equal this and everybody gets equal that. How many times, if you're a parent, do you tell your kids, hey, I get life's not fair. Life's not fair. It's not. But we can't rescue every situation. We can't fix every wrong. We can't smooth every bump in the road. And if you try to, you're going to eliminate a lot of good things. You just are. You're going to eliminate a lot of good things because a lot of guys make it. And here's the other part. We act like it's a binary decision. Well, you either come to Ohio State and you play and you get into the NFL or you get into the NBA and you're a star and everything's great. Or will you come in and they just make you practice and they take you out of class and you don't get your education and whatever, whatever. And there are many, many people on both ends and both lanes of that highway. The ones who come and presumably everything works out for them just like they envisioned growing up. And the ones in the other lane who come and, wow, I don't have it all my dreams. Like, I was better than that guy, but the coach didn't play me, and I didn't get the help in the classroom that I thought I was going to get, and I didn't. And I, I tested positive for, for marijuana or coke, and they, they kicked me out of the program. Yeah. But those aren't the only stories. And I would argue that the guys who come in and don't make it bear more personal responsibility, way more personal responsibility than we ever want to acknowledge in stories like this one from my friend Mike Rosenberg. It is as if, it is as if they are blameless in this, and they are not. Here's the cold, hard truth of the matter, folks. If you come into Ohio State as a scholarship football player, and you go to class, and you go to Children's Hospital for the visits, and you're, you're you know, strike up a friendship with, couple media people or you do that you're just up you work hard in practice you do your thing you keep your head down you go to your tutoring you get good grades you come out of there with a diploma yeah i'm gonna say it because you're gonna go oh here's where you say the two most important words on any resume or former buckeye yeah you know why i say that because it's true because it's true it's true 
It just is. It's not unlike anything in life. What resources do I have here? What can I take advantage of? What can I use to work for my benefit? Now, I can ignore that, and I can assume that everybody should just hand me everything, or I can put my head down uh, and, and get to work and do what I'm told to do and not complain about it. Yes, I'm, this is the old school, old school We Tackle Life podcast where I'm extolling all those things that are out of vogue, like delayed gratification. What? Delayed gratification, hard work, success, humility. Yeah, all those things that we don't glorify anymore. But you know what? They work. They work. And when we get away from acknowledging that they work and we get into this thing of, well, but so-and-so got injured in his last college game. It's not fair. No, it isn't. It isn't fair. It's reality. And you're not going to eliminate it unless you eliminate the whole enterprise. And if you eliminate the whole enterprise, then that's what you do. You eliminate the whole enterprise. And you eliminate a lot of guys who the system works for. And you eliminate a lot of guys who never get the reward they thought they were going to get, but there's a reward out there that they can get if they do things the right way. And that's where I stand on this ongoing we got to pay the players. Name, image, and likeness. I'm okay with that. Pay them. I think it's ridiculous Gene Smith makes $2.5 million a year. Ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous that Ohio State has more administrators than I could name. When I started covering Ohio State in the late 1980s, I knew every single administrator in the athletic department. And I could count them on two hands. Now that's not the case. The machine's gotten bigger. It's gotten... You want to argue it's gotten bigger, it's gotten out of control? I'm not going to argue that with you. But there's a reason why there's an old saying, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Because you cannot put the genie back in the bottle. TV contracts are too big, this, that, and the other. You want to knock it all down to the D3 level? Have at it. Go ahead. (laughs) It won't bother me. But this thing, like, no, we want to keep... We want to keep the system that works for Joey Bosa. We want to keep the system that works for, you know, Denzel Ward, but we don't want to keep the system that works for the kid who was a five-star and came in here and tore up his knee or the kid who comes in. Good luck. You're not God. You're not God. Okay, so that's where I stand on the Mike Roseberg thing. Now to the Ryan Day, Dabo Sweeney press conference today. Here's a newsflash for you. Neither one said anything. They're not going to say anything, okay? Tim May. Yay, Tim May. Asked the best question of the press conference, which was to Ryan Day, hey, how do you feel about Dabo saying your team doesn't belong in the playoff because he thinks it's not fair that teams that have played 10, 11, 12, 13 games are going to have to play 13 games to win a title, and you only have to win eight. That's a really good question, and it's a really fair question. And so, of course, Ryan didn't answer it. (laughs) But that was the only good question. Here's what's noteworthy to me. It's my podcast, so I get to say what's noteworthy to me, and I think it's indicative of where we are in our society. This is the Sugar Bowl press conference. This is a college football playoff press conference, okay? And everybody's asking questions on Zoom 
So everybody goes and finds the participants button on Zoom, and you click on that, and there's a raise hand feature, and so you raise your hand, and they call on you. You have no control over who's going to get called on, okay? There are probably 20 questions on this press conference before I lost interest. And I didn't find the questions to be (coughs) particularly noteworthy. I found the questioners to be extremely noteworthy. The decline of media in our country was never more apparent than on this particular call. Now, that's not, I don't mean like the questions were bad. The questions were what the questions have always been for as long as I've been in this. That's not at all what I mean. (coughs) It's the organizations the questions came from. (laughs) I hate to go, back in my day. No. You would expect on a Sugar Bowl press conference for the questions to come from who? College football playoff semifinal. New York Times, Chicago Tribune. L.A. Times, Charlotte Observer, right? Dallas Morning News, Associated Press, Reuters. Uh Uh-uh. 20 questions. You know how many questions came from traditional media outlets that at least have the uh, presumption of um, impartiality? The presumption of impartiality. Three. Cleveland.com, Columbus Dispatch, Associated Press. Every other question was from some fan site. All Tiger Talk, all Clemson, Letterman Row, Levin Warriors, you know all the ones that cover Ohio State. They do a great job. It's amazing to me the decline of traditional media. Amazing to me that fan sites have proliferated and down the middle mainstream media outlets have just vanished, vanished off the face of the earth. Um, so what does that mean? Why do I find that significant? Because we live in a polarized time in our society. And one of the reasons why we live in a polarized time in our society is because the media lost its mission to be impartial and because each entity now has gravitated toward a a position in this instance the Ohio State sites of course are going to put out pro Ohio State information and the Clemson sites are going to put out pro Clemson information just like the Notre Dame sites do Notre Dame and then Bama sites do Bama but it's beyond that Back when those kinds of sites and publications started, you expected that from the Scarlet and Gray Illustrated and the Ozone and places like that. It was like, yeah, that's an Ohio State site. Of course they're going to write pro-Ohio State stuff. But there was always a bunch of other media outlets that like, okay, they're, you know, they probably prefer that Ohio State win, but they're down the middle. That's gone. It's also gone from our national discourse. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You don't watch CNN to find out what the news is. You find out, you watch CNN to find out how they're going to confirm your biases, similar to Fox, similar to OAN, similar to MSNBC. We now all live in our own silos. That's not something I thought of myself. A friend of mine, and I'd give his name, but I don't want to put him at risk because he, he's uh, he's in a sports league and wouldn't want his name out there. But we all live in our own silos. And when you're in a silo, if you don't know what a silo is, a silo is a big vertical, you know, 
ground thing that they store grain in. If you're in the silo, you can't hear anything outside the silo. <laughs> you can't. And uh, that's how we are in our world right now. We're all in our own silo. Can't hear anything else. Don't want to hear anything else. I like it in my silo. So that to me was interesting. 17 questions from media outlets that are just like all Clemson this, Tiger Talk this, you know, Buckeye this. It's just like, wow. Wow. That's where we are in our uh, society right now. I woke up this morning. I think I've hit everything on the sports side. Let's go to the faith portion of the podcast. I woke up this morning and I wanted to uh, listen to my friend uh, Brandon Boxer on 610 TVN because I Boxer's a really good dude. And uh, in the course of my daily life, I don't have usually have time to listen to the radio in the morning. But today I was like, hey, I'm going to listen to Boxer. And I turned it on. Boxer wasn't on. He's probably on vacation. Well-deserved vacation. So WTVN had on a psychic a psychic, and people were calling in, and I was like, do people really buy this crap? Hi, I'm, I'm John. I'd like to know what you see for my future. Literally, that was the call. I'm not banging on TV, I'm just saying where I heard it. So, and then the guy would go, well, um, I, do you have family? And I'm thinking, well, dude, if you're psychic, you ought to know that. Yes, yes, I have family. My my wife actually, you know, we're hoping that everything uh, turns out well for her. And then, oh, and then the guy would go, mm. and it turns out well for her. And then you're, I'm sensing a medical procedure. medical procedure. Yes, yes, there's a medical procedure. Okay, so all this kind of stuff. I listened to this for like five minutes. And I thought about how sad it is, how sad it is to me that... There is someone who you can call who knows everything about you. He doesn't have to hear little hints about your wife and a medical procedure or the truck you might possibly buy or the job that's going south or whatever. Jesus knows all that about you. Not because he's psychic, because he's God. And they just kept saying on this segment on TVN, our lines are jammed, our lines are jammed, we can't stay on long with you because we got to get to the next person. What does that tell you? Everybody has a deep concern about their future. Everyone has needs. Everyone has something that is the biggest thing in the world to them. And I understand that because I've had numerous things like that in my life. And I'm sure you have too. And I cannot guarantee you, nor would I ever even promise you or suggest to you that it's as easy as calling a psychic and getting their answer on the telephone, going to God in prayer. Sometimes you get clarity quickly. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes, as a friend of mine has said often, life is lived forward, understood, and reverse. I've found that to be more true than me getting an answer ahead of time. But here's what I find most comforting about the truth of the fact that God knows you. God created you. We hear sometimes, in fact, quite often we hear this phrase, a relationship. 
with Christ. I've asked it uh, of people who are searching from a faith perspective. Do you have a relationship with Christ? I've said before, you know, I, I knew Jesus. I knew who he was. I, I knew he came to die for my sins and stuff, but I didn't really have a relationship with him until I committed my life to him in my late 30s. <clears throat> and that's really actually wrong. That is actually wrong. I've said that, and it's wrong. I have always had a relationship with Christ. But until my late 30s, it was a bad relationship. I didn't want to hear from him. I didn't trust him. I didn't access him. I didn't know him. That was my fault, not his. Everyone has a relationship with God. Everyone. Because God created you. Just, you don't happen to believe it, but it's nevertheless true. He did. He knows everything about you. The Bible makes that very clear. And so, rather than start 2021 with a bunch of resolutions, behaviors, habits, practices you'd like to adopt in the new year, I'd like to challenge you to focus on the truth of the fact that you have a relationship with Christ. But take an honest inventory of what is that relationship. What is it? How do you view it? How does Jesus view it? There will be a day, and I don't know when that day will be, depending on when your life ends or depending on when Christ returns, that an inventory will be taken of your relationship. And the importance of that inventory cannot be emphasized enough. Your eternal destiny hinges on it. Every person in this world, no matter what language they speak, no matter what their economic standing is, no matter where they live, no matter whether they're on a desert island or living in the most teeming metropolis on earth, every single person, rich, poor, white, black, whatever nationality, you can live on the North Pole on the top of a, a mountain. You can live in the rainforest, doesn't matter, will all be judged exactly the same by the exact same God. And the question will be, who was Jesus to you? What did you do with what Jesus did at the cross? What did you do with it? Did you claim it as your own? I'm not worthy, Lord. I'm a sinful man or woman. I want to be in right relationship with you, but there's nothing I can do to be in right relationship with you short of saying, thankfully, Jesus did it for me, and I'm claiming his perfection as my own. That's the only right answer on that day. That's the only right answer. And so what does it take to get to the point where you get that answer right? I believe it takes... Um, several things. I believe that it takes, first of all, humility. Humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs, Proverbs 22.4, is humility is the fear of the Lord. 
its wages are riches, honor, and life. In other words, if you are a humble person and you fear the Lord, you respect him, you esteem him, you elevate him, you extol him, you acknowledge him, doesn't mean you're terrified of him, but it means that you reverence him. The wages of that, the payoff for that, are riches, honor, and life. Now, that doesn't mean earthly riches. It can, but it doesn't always mean that. Riches, honor, and life. And then, you know, I read Proverbs a lot. I read a chapter per day that pertains to the date of the month. Um, tomorrow will be New Year's Day, and I always love the first of the month because I go, get to go back to Proverbs 1. And Proverbs 1, 7 reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if you reverence the Lord, if you esteem him, if you elevate him, if you extol him, if you honor him, if you put him in the right position of prominence in your life, that's the beginning of knowledge. In other words, you can't have knowledge, you can't understand things in the way God wants you to understand them if you do not esteem him, extol him, elevate him, reverence him, respect him. you got to have that humility. Beginning of knowledge. That's the beginning of knowledge. What if you don't have that reverence, that fear, that esteem, that respect for the God, for God? <clears throat> well, the second half of Proverbs 1-7 says what the results of that are. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And they do. I've seen it in my life. You've seen it. Many people who have every earthly comfort that should make them so happy, so content, they're miserable. Because they despise wisdom and discipline. They despise acknowledging the prominence of God in their life. So uh, that is a reality that I fought against for a long time, that I didn't understand for a long time, that I didn't humble myself to read the Bible and open up my mind and say, pour truth in, please, because I'm, I'm at my wit's end here trying to manage it myself. Uh, my life kind of blew up in the, in the mid-1990s. Um, everything that I thought I had uh, worked for and set up for myself to establish success and a secure future and everything, it all just came apart. I have used the analogy before that I was a very, I thought I was a very good uh, expert at keeping all the balls in the air. Career-wise, I was on the, you know, I had a guy's my age and I was keeping all the balls in the air. And then one day all the balls hit, hit the ground. My life hit the ground. And it was a Sunday night, <clears throat> December 22nd, 1996. And I went to my kitchen table, and I opened up my living Bible that my Aunt Phyllis gave me in 1975. And I bowed my head for the first time in years, and I said, I have no standing to come to you now and have you answer anything that I ask. 
I realize that. But, Lord, I know the answers are in this book. It's the only shot I got. And so I'm going to find the answers. And I'm going to hope that you aren't out of patience with me. And he wasn't. (laughs) Hallelujah. He wasn't. And he's not out of patience with you. And no matter where you are, you don't have to be on the bottom like I was then. You can be right in the middle, right on the top, and you can always move closer to him, move higher, gain more understanding. The more humble you are, the more reverence you have for God, the more your knowledge increases, and it's an awesome way to live. So that is my wish for you in 2021. Um. I hope it encourages you, and I hope you'll stick with the podcast. Although I got to tell you, uh, I did a lousy job of going through my sponsors today. You know who they are: Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Great coffee, great people. Order from Hemisphere, and you won't ever know what great things will happen around the world. But great things will happen around the world with the missionaries that they support in Indonesia and in uh, Thailand and. Nicaragua, and other places. Great people. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. And if you need an attorney, man, don't hook up with an attorney that you are not sure. I don't know about this guy. Can I trust him? Willis Spangler Starling. That's my attorney firm of choice because I know what their integrity is, and I know what their character is, I know what their heart is, and I know what their expertise is, which that's important. They got expertise. Trust me on that. Will's estate planning, probate, Workers' comp, anything you need. Dan Kelly and the great people at Willis Spangler Starling uh, will do great on your behalf. WillisAttorneys.com, WillisAttorneys.com. And then I'm going to connect with Chrissy and uh, the AUI team to they're opening up some new um, service avenues for you business owners out there in the coming year. One of the things that will take a lot of worry off your plate is HR uh, guidance. And uh, HR can be a real minefield, cost-wise, penalty-wise, all kinds of things. And they're always looking at AUI for ways to serve people better. And they're a small company, but they're big enough to be really powerful at what they do and to have wide-ranging expertise and add important new services like this. So check them out online, auiinfo.com, for health insurance questions, for HR questions, for things that business owners need. And also, uh, I'll find out more about what they can do for you as an individual in those areas, uh, too. So those are the sponsors, and uh, I'll do a better job of integrating them into the middle of the podcast going forward. Thanks so much for sticking with us all of 2020. Uh, Chris uh, will join sometimes now and then, not very regularly probably, but um, I had so much fun doing the podcast with him. And I hope you guys will continue to stick with it and offer your suggestions on how it can be better, what you'd like to hear. Podcast at gmail.com. Yes, I have to get that email address changed. Um, And I will one of these days. Everybody have a great day. Happy New Year.